The podcast you're about to listen to was recorded in early October, just before the outbreak of war between Israel and Hamas. I'm Thanasi Kambanis, and in the podcast, I talk with Sam Heller about his recent research into the pathologies created by international aid dependency in Lebanon and how that international aid community unwittingly contributes to the impossibility of reform. While the regional situation is sure to change as a result of this war, the conundrums of aid and the dependencies it create remain, and they affect many places in the region, not just Lebanon, but also places like Gaza and the West Bank, where international aid plays a disproportionate role. Meanwhile, if you're interested in our thoughts about how to minimize the risks uh, or contain the risks of regional war, you can go to the Century Foundation's website, tcf.org, and look for a commentary by me and Sam uh, about the ways in which the U.S. could play a role in reducing the risks of the war turning into a regional conflict. Now back to the normal programming of Order from Ashes, and I hope you enjoy this next podcast. Welcome to Order from Ashes. I'm Thanasi Kambanis, and today I'm talking to Sam Heller about his latest research into the international aid to Lebanon and the potentially uh, the, the potential blowback uh, from that aid for the long-term viability of the Lebanese state and the well-being of the people who live in Lebanon. Uh, Sam, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Good to be back. So the report uh, that we're we're talking about today, the the research that you did over like a long period of time, I think, uh, uh, is just out uh, this month. And the report is called Adopt a Ministry, How Foreign Aid Threatens Lebanon's Institutions. Uh, and it's a really in-depth exploration of like the the pretty deep pathologies that have evolved in aid, aid to Lebanon and and really what, uh, what might come next as a result of this. So uh, mostly today, I want to focus our conversation on what you found uh, uh, that that's forward looking. Uh, but let's start with this this diagnosis. Uh, what uh, what exactly has come to pass that's unusual or extreme or different uh, about the uh, the dynamics around international aid to Lebanon now? Well, so the uh, so aid is different now because uh, situation in Lebanon is different now, right? Because Lebanon is now a mess. Um, so since the, the start of Lebanon's economic crisis in 2019, uh, GDP is down almost 40 percent. Uh, the currency uh, has lost about 98 uh, percent uh, of its pre-crisis value. Um, public spending. Uh, is down uh, more than 80% uh, since before the crisis. Um, so that has, uh, it has hit the country's uh, bureaucracy uh, and it has uh, affected its public services, um, which by now are, they're not totally non-functional, right? So nothing has uh, has discontinued entirely. Uh, but they're, you know, really, really struggling. Um, so then the aid, uh, in response to this, uh, so that's different in that, uh, for a long time, basically since, uh, the end of Lebanon's civil war, uh, Lebanon got, uh, billions in development money, uh, from various international donors. Um, so, 
large amounts of money for Lebanon are not a new thing necessarily. Uh, but uh, the the mix of donors changed over time. So, you know, Gulf donors, for example, uh, uh, basically stepped away uh, after like roughly 2016. Um, and then the remaining donors, they got more uh, conditional uh, or they got tougher uh, on aid conditionality. Uh, and then basically uh, since, you know, the start of the crisis in 2019 have uh, halted most uh, development assistance. Um, the aid now is uh, is largely humanitarian, uh, which means that it is uh, needs-based and unconditional, right? So not kind of conditional on action or reform by, uh, by Lebanese authorities. Uh, and then this money is actually mostly coming out of the, uh, uh, the Syria crisis response. Right, which is the uh, it's the response to uh, the effects of Syria's conflict on uh, the country's regional neighbors, uh, including Lebanon. Um, and then, so that's a uh, it's a an international donor supported uh, uh, refugee response that uh, includes aid uh, directed at uh, Syrian refugees, but then also at Lebanese host communities and uh, Palestinian refugees in Lebanon. Um, Another thing that's different about this aid is, uh, and then in particular, the aid that I focused on here, which is aid uh, to Lebanon's public institutions. Um, so a new thing about that is the size of it, um, both kind of the size in like absolute terms, but then also relative to the country's public spending, which has collapsed. Um, so uh, a feature of the... Uh, this kind of Syria refugee response in uh, in Lebanon is that because Lebanon did not establish camps for uh, Syrian refugees as they were arriving, um, that Syrians are distributed across the country. Uh, so they're present in almost all municipalities nationwide. Um, so the uh, this aid response. Uh, is is meant to work through existing national systems, right? So uh, things like the uh, the public school system uh, in Lebanon. Um, now uh, that support the uh, so the international community, the UN actually has uh, charted this support kind of year to year. They publish it in the, uh, an annual review of uh, the uh, Lebanon, uh, Lebanon crisis response plan. Um, and then, so this dollar figure has increased year on year from 2015. It hit a high in uh, 2019. Then it was down in uh, 21 and 22 because mainly because of COVID related circumstances. Uh, but then in uh, 2022, it was uh, back up and more than ever. Uh, I was told by a, uh, a UN official that it's now, uh, that in 2022, uh, this assistance amounted to uh, more than $300 million uh, to or through uh, Lebanon's public institutions. And, and that's something like a quarter of the actual discretionary uh, spending that occurs in, in Lebanon today, right? 
Well, yeah, I mean, so that that year was also an all-time low for Lebanon's public spending, which uh, the World Bank estimated at uh, 1.2 billion. Uh, so yeah, 300 versus 1.2 uh, uh, 1.2 billion. Like this is a huge uh, number relative to that. And then it's I think whether or not this is the intent. I think that it's inevitable that that's going to have uh, an effect on uh, on basically the uh, the shape of the state, right? Like where the resources are allocated, like what uh, uh, what institutions are. Uh, uh, are succeeding or failing. So, so let me, let me just, let me interrupt you for a second to, to contextualize w- w- how this looks to me, like, you know, reading your report, listening to you detail this. So we have this context where there's been, you know, historical dysfunction for a long period of time, lots of aid, uh, this idea of a Republic of NGOs where there's, you know, a sort of ever proliferating, uh, group of local, regional, international, uh, NGOs that deliver this or that. So that's the, that's the baseline before this new, uh, this new sort of stage that you describe and what has changed, uh, over now we're talking about a period of, of, of five or more or, or so years is that, uh, we went from there being an awful lot of international aid in a somewhat dysfunctional state to uh, to a new condition where we have maybe a failed state, certainly a fa- failing state, and we have this international aid that is now maybe the single most important direct uh, provider or direct sort of paymaster of functions that even a few years ago, five, six, seven years ago, were still being delivered by the Lebanese state. So that's, uh, that's the sort of step we've, we've, we, this line we've crossed maybe in the last, uh, uh, five years that changes what was already a, uh, you know, uh, let's say, uh, a, a set of conditions that would have, that would raise reasonable questions. And now it looks more like, uh, wow, something something has really categorically changed, um, and we still maybe haven't caught up in our perceptions because we were already used to, uh, to you know, sort of the general sense of dysfunction and a lot of international money. Uh, so, if you think that's a well, sort of fair way to to to, to, to phrase the to frame this, um, sorry, you what were you gonna, you were, you you were going to maybe disagree well, I mean, or elaborate? So, no, no, no. I mean, so I was just going to add that. I mean. That also, I mean, what's changed is that some uh, some of this assistance is really qualitatively different and new, right? And then the the stuff in particular that is like especially eyebrow raising is uh, uh, foreign stipends uh, for uh, Lebanese army soldiers uh, and uh, policemen and the internal security forces, um, and then uh, also in parallel. Um, for the past uh, uh, two school years, uh, kind of these stipend salary top-ups for public teachers uh, teaching, so Lebanese teachers teaching Lebanese students. Um, So these are, I mean, these are are donors paying in part, you know, the salaries of uh, like Lebanon's public servants, in uh like in a way that uh you know donors said is uh or donor representatives told me is is more typical of uh yeah like real failed states countries devastated by war uh they analogized with uh, afghanistan or somalia 
Um, this is uh, new and weird. And, uh, you know, and then like donor, I mean, donors are, are not uh, entirely comfortable with it. So this is a bit, this is a, a, a big deal and it, and it represents a real uh, change in both the sort of the status of the Lebanese state and also uh, the way countries uh, in Europe and the U S primarily um, now that the Gulf has taken a step back are thinking about what and how they're going to prop this place up. Um, and I just want to underscore what, what you said, because it really, it, it really is uh, mind boggling to think about. So we have foreign governments uh, responsible sometimes on a month to month basis for whether soldiers and teachers get paid at all. Uh, yeah. and, and, and so if, if like, a, or whether they get like paid enough to retain them. Right. I mean, because now you've got these problems of like absenteeism of, uh, uh, in the, you know, in the, the army, I guess they're, uh, um, they're, uh, trying to prevent soldiers from uh, like absconding. Right. I mean, so me- uh, meaningful, meaningfully, when I say pay them, like pay them so that they actually work, right? Because they'll, they'll get a worthless, uh, lira denominated salary from the government and they'll stay home because it doesn't even cover the cost of getting to work. So what we mean here is these foreign governments, basically foreign aid agencies are the, are deciding whether or not, uh, the army, uh, and, and schools stay open. Uh, so that's, that's new. Um, and presumably, I mean, and, we'll get, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, and then what you had with, uh, uh, I mean, in terms of like keeping people are getting, keeping people or getting people, uh, at work, uh, what you had with Lebanon's public schools earlier this year was a three month strike by, uh, public school teachers and staff, you know, demanding, uh, a livable uh, wage and adjusted benefits uh, that was uh, ultimately resolved uh, in part by um, reprogramming assistance from a, uh, a like another uh, education focused uh, uh, UK aid program to uh, to pay what they called uh, 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 productivity allowances uh, to these teachers, and then that is what you know helped. Right, you know, resolve the strike and uh, and get children, uh, both Lebanese and Syrians, uh, back in schools. Um, and it was done on the condition uh, at the time, you know, that the uh, that the Lebanese state for the coming school year would uh, would allocate sufficient money uh, for you know to pay for teachers' salaries, uh, you know, so they would actually work. Uh, and then. So far, it sounds like, I mean, the, the, the government has not followed through, right? I mean, they've only, uh, they've only, you know, uh, uh, set aside, uh, part of what's necessary. No, and no, that's no surprise, of course, that the government's not followed through. And, uh, and as you yourself have extensively documented the whole idea of conditional, uh, aid in order to promote reform just hasn't panned out, right? The, the Lebanese, state, the Lebanese ruling class has been, uh, has proven completely immune, uh, to pressure on that front. So reforms that have been suggested, uh, any reforms that the international community donors, others have suggested the, the Lebanese state has just refused to do. So that's how we arrive at, uh, at today's impasse. And, um, I want to spend the rest of, of our time on the podcast today, uh, talking about your, uh, sort of your findings about what the trade-offs and costs of this are and what are the possible, uh, things that 
the Lebanese state and the international donors can do uh, to change this dynamic. So first, uh, first, let's talk about um, what what are the costs or new problems uh, that are created uh, when foreign aid uh, starts starts taking over uh, or being primarily responsible for for core for core state functions. So like first, let's talk about what are the costs uh, for, for Lebanon. And then we can talk if there are any, what are the sort of, uh, you know, costs or just threats, threats, uh, to sustainability of this, uh, for, for donors. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, I mean, these are like these costs, these trade-offs. Um, I mean, there, there are things that I think that's, uh, uh, that people who are involved in this, whether on the Lebanese or the international side are conscious of. Right. I mean, so, you know, I heard them from Lebanese officials. I heard them from Internet, like uh, officials of international uh, organizations and agencies uh, from uh, uh, donor country representatives. Um, you know, nobody who is involved in this arrangement feels uh, particularly good about it, it seems. Um, you know, it's just like a it's a, a deeply like unpleasant, acrimonious uh, arrangement. Um it seems on basically all sides. Well, and, and I mean, the, the, the way, the, the way I see this question is it's one where, uh, the humanitarian imperative to, uh, help people where we can is exactly squarely opposed to the policy imperative to, uh, do the right thing in terms of long-term sustainability for States. Right. So, you know, as an, as a, U.S. Uh, person who does policy and health analysis in the U.S., I say, okay, it's great for the U.S. to spend money uh, uh, enabling the Lebanese military to to, to continue to exist, uh, to enable these soldiers to feed their families and, and for there to still be the sovereign institution. It's great for the international community to spend money so the kids can still go to school. And then people will turn around and say to me, so how long should we do this for? If the Lebanese state has proven that it's not interested in taking any of the actions it could take to make this temporary. They basically have said as a state, we don't care about our own people. Are we, are, should we plan to take over Lebanon's school systems or Lebanon's army in perpetuity? And I think that's a real, that's, it's really tough because, you know, both of these are genuine imperatives uh, and they really are contradictory. Well, I mean, I think that that kind of, that humanitarian imperative, that consideration, uh, really gets at one of the key dilemmas here, and the the, the debates, uh, certainly on the uh, like the international uh, uh, like donor uh, humanitarian uh, development side, uh, which is uh, whether uh, whether Lebanon is uh, is best understood as a humanitarian or a development case. Uh, and then which of the, what of this assistance is, uh, is kind of, uh, a need based response to humanitarian need and thus should be given, uh, you know, unconditionally, uh, and then what is better understood as, uh, as development and then can be, uh, conditioned and withheld on, uh, reform action by Lebanese decision makers. Um, so it's something on which, uh, people disagree. And then I think also this, you know, this, uh, I mean, I try to be kind of precise throughout the report, but, um, you know, the assistance that I highlight here is, is, uh, kind of a mix, right? So like, uh, salary stipends, uh, for, uh, uh, for Lebanese army soldiers is not, uh, humanitarian money. 
right? But then I think that you have this kind of mix of uh, humanitarian, whether it's kind of Lebanon focused or from the, uh, uh, you know, out of the uh, the Syria refugee response uh, or kind of development money, uh, including some of the stuff from uh, uh, via the World Bank, uh, World Bank financing um, that I think it makes sense to consider together, right? As part of a whole. Well, and, and, um, and when, when I hear like, for example, how uh, people in the U S government uh, talked about and thought about delivering this aid to the, the, this money for the Lebanese army salaries, it, although your, your distinction makes sense, you know, it's real. I believe it uh, in terms of the motivation it was both humanitarian and strategic at the same time, right? So people who supported this said, okay, we see this as an investment in in one of the last surviving institutions. So there's this sort of strategic imperative to not let one, one of the few quasi-functional national institutions uh, collapse. Um, and at the same time, people understood it as even if it's not the best long-term policy or it's not sustainable as policy, they understood it as being worth doing because it was also effectively humanitarian aid because money's fungible. And what this money is really going to is people spending money on keeping their families alive, uh, right? These, these people, the, the, these soldiers, uh, using their, their, by the way, minuscule, right? What are these stipends? Uh, uh, uh are they $150 a month? I mean, some very tiny amount of money, dollar figure when you think about it. And this is what is, uh, you know, enabling people to still feed protein to their kids. Uh, so, you know, I do think, I do think there's this, uh, conflation of, of, of imperatives here. And I guess I wanted, I, I wanted to ask, I mean, you, you talk to a lot of Lebanese officials and Lebanese who were involved in this dynamic. Do they worry about the loss of sovereignty that comes with having these core functions, uh, 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 paid for and propped up by, by foreign international paymasters? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, so that is, uh, among the main concerns, right. That I heard from, uh, the different kind of, uh, like the different sides who I spoke to. So it seems like, you know, like the, the most immediate, uh, costs or drawbacks or, you know, trade-offs with these, uh, with this, uh, with this assistance. Um, so, uh, you know, in kind of symbolic terms, right. I mean, there's the, uh, uh, the idea that, uh, that this will somehow, uh, uh, you know, by weakening the independence, for example, of uh, Lebanon's army, uh, or you know, by nature of the the way that uh, that donors engage with the Lebanese state, you know, which is not especially coherent or capable, um, that this will further uh, diminish uh, Lebanon's already weakened sovereignty. Uh, and then make its the country, its institutions uh, less kind of viable as a as you know as an independent uh, uh, entity going forward. Um, so that is uh, one concern. Uh, another is that in more kind of functional terms, uh, that it might uh, that this assistance might, um, I mean, because of the way that it's directed, uh, that it might actually uh, weaken some of Lebanon's institutions, uh, including by uh, uh, by like empowering arguably unsustainable parallel structures um, like NGO uh, uh, related initiatives uh, that it might uh, uh, permit the the state proper to uh, to atrophy. 
uh, further so that it's not there and capable when Lebanon needs it, right? Like if Lebanon ever does kind of turn the corner and then need to to really like chart a, a recovery, then the state will have, you know, uh, diminished to, uh, to uselessness. I mean, that's, that's and the then, main, that's the main fear that I take away from reading your, your, your research on, into this, right? So we're, you know, our baseline is already one where we have a frighteningly marginalized, you know, yes, by, by self-sabotage, uh, arguably, but we have this, this very marginalized state in which fewer and fewer things that people need are actually coming to it from the state. So, all, you know, already healthcare, for example, a lot of, a lot of the better healthcare available in Lebanon is through, uh, uh, private networks through uh, uh, sectarian affiliated networks, not through uh, public government hospitals, schools, uh, public schools already serve a far lower percent of the population than they do in most parts of the world. Um, and, uh, you know, so we have a sort of eclipse of, of the state from core functions that we think about the state delivering, you know, electricity, healthcare, uh, uh, security, um, you know, on, on and on. Nonetheless, these functions to some extent have existed, uh, since the end of the civil war, or in some cases even have, have, you know, for periods appeared to be coming back online after the fragmentation from 1975 to 1990. Uh, so my, uh, impression from, from your work on this is that like, uh, the current dynamic could be like a fatal last blow, right? So we have really like skeleton capacities that have survived the, 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 uh, the, the, the sort of waves and buffeting, uh, cycles of the last, uh, you know, the period since 1975, almost 50 years. And what little bit has survived is now, uh, essentially being mothballed on purpose by, by the state in this time of crisis uh, and new functions are taking their place where foreign donors are basically uh, either building parallel capacities uh, or are taking the little bits of government ministries that, that still function and taking them over as internationally funded fiefdoms. And from a humanitarian perspective, we can't, we can't oppose this, right? We can't say like, well, let people starve in the dark and not have healthcare uh, if this is the only way to do it. But if this is the way we do it, then five years from now, there literally won't be another way because the, the capacity in the institutions just won't exist. Well, I think, I mean, so this, you know, uh, this gets at uh, like another key dilemma here, which is whether, um, you know, whether donors by paying in, by supporting these services, whether they actually, uh, you know, create very serious moral hazard and then enable, uh, elite misbehavior, um, by kind of, uh, by making the situation a little bit more tenable, uh, and then relieving pressure on elites, uh, to reform, to do, you know, these, uh, to pursue, you know, the steps that they've agreed, uh, previously with the IMF, uh, and then what would be necessary to, uh, to write uh, the country's economy. Um, but then the flip side of that is that uh, if donors uh, like withheld this assistance, then, you know, there's very little reason to believe that that would, um, you know, that that would actually affect uh, the calculation of Lebanon's ruling elites. Right. Because they, uh, uh, because they are, they remain relatively comfortable. Um, 
you know, they do not use these public services, right? They, uh, uh, they use a, a set of alternate private uh, 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 substitutes. Um, and then so they can live, uh, you know, relatively well, even as uh, like, you know, the bottom falls out for uh, for much of the country. So, th- so, right. So then this essentially becomes a, you know, EU and US government and maybe to less extent, you know, UN, and I'm not sure if there's any other major donors that, that I'm neglecting. So it becomes the responsibility of these uh, these powers, uh, you know, the sort of well-being of millions of people who live in Lebanon uh, be- becomes their responsibility. And so if they cut off aid, it'll be their fault that people are not getting health care, going hungry, not getting not getting able to send their kids to school. Uh, so, well, I mean, we, we should also add, though, that I mean, like the, the discussion of conditionality here is complicated uh, by, uh, I mean, the first that I mean, the the, the fact that first. You know, it's not the fault of uh, the kind of large majority of the Lebanese people uh, that the country has been, uh, you know, mis- uh, misgoverned in such an extreme way. Um, but it's even more, you know, it's it's definitely not the fault of uh, the estimated uh, one and a half million Syrians uh, who are in the country. And then uh, most of this assistance is the uh, the Syrian refugee response. Right. So, you know, it's it's a lot it's harder to think about uh, like withholding or cutting off uh, uh, assistance when, uh, you know, when it's it's first and foremost uh, for these uh, Syrians who are uh, kind of uh, poor and then, you know, through no fault of their own, they're they're stuck now in this collapsing country. Now you you have some uh, some I think good ideas or at least uh, uh, you know constructive ideas about how we might start uh, uh, you know if not getting out of this mess at least uh, finding some new and useful clarity on the dilemma. So what what are what are your thoughts on things that uh, uh, donors and and the Lebanese government can do? from this point forward, uh, to start addressing, uh, this, this, you know, short and long-term crisis? Well, I mean, I think, so what I advocate on the paper, uh, there's been an effort, uh, underway this year to, uh, to map the UN systems contributions to, uh, Lebanon state and institutions. Um, so I think, we, you know, we need to see kind of a, a, a version of that or, you know, an effort that captures uh, uh, outside the UN system, you know, more of these, uh, uh, more of these uh, foreign donor constru- uh, contributions to Lebanon uh, so that we can actually like a real kind of inventory of this. So we have a complete sense of it. I think in this report, you know, I've tried to, uh, uh, to highlight um, and then to kind of to to dig in to better understand, uh, you know, some of uh, these uh, what I what struck me as the more kind of significant uh, donor contributions in this respect. Uh, but it's not comprehensive. It doesn't sound like anyone uh, has a like a total view uh, of what's going on. Um, so I think that there needs to be like a real accounting of this that could then enable a, uh, a discussion among donors about, uh, you know, what of this assistance is humanitarian, 
uh, and thus, you know, has to continue whatever the uh, the choices or misbehavior of uh, Lebanon's government. Uh, and then what is like actually not right. I mean, what can be reclassified maybe as uh, as, uh, you know, development and then kind of conditioned, uh, hopefully usefully on uh, on on action by Lebanon's decision makers. Um, and then separately, you know, I didn't want to or I mean, I just I didn't want to uh, uh, focus uh, I mean, I didn't want to aim this solely at uh, non-Lebanese, right? At, at, at donors, at uh, you know, that various internationals. Um, so hopefully, you know, this is uh, it's a report that is uh, that is useful for a Lebanese readership as well. So that you know that uh, because I think uh, Lebanese deserve to uh, to understand this and to have a real say. Uh, in this assistance, in the uh, uh, the fact, the effect that it's having on their country, um, and even if we don't, uh, you know, even if we can't really expect a uh, like a sober uh, discussion of this by the country's uh, political elites, you know, then there are other serious people in Lebanon uh, who I think could uh, could have that debate, um, like inside uh, inside the state and uh, and outside it. I mean, I, have a, um, I, I, as you know, because we talked about this uh, off, off, off the podcast. Um, you know, I have a mixed, mixed reaction to these ideas. You know, and the, the sort of the idea of having like a map of money or like an aid census uh, seems obviously useful, but also really like, you know, bare, like barely enough to even think about that as being like a start at dealing with this problem. So, on the one hand, it's incredible to me that that doesn't already exist, right? In a context where like, you know, uh, uh, so much money is spent. Um, and I guess this is really typical in aid context. So it's not a surprise, but it still is boggling, boggles the mind that, that there isn't a, just a default, right? In a major aid emergency, how can there not be like an ombuds person at the UN somewhere who just tracks all the money that's spent so that like, whether we're talking about, you know, uh, Syrian refugee response or Lebanon or Turkey or Yemen or, you know, Afghanistan, any of these places, how on earth uh, is it not normal at this point, decades into the development of this international aid economy, how is it not standard practice for there to be in real time, a like quasi uh, uh, objective empowered office that keeps track of what's being spent by whom, right? That's nuts. But, but, but that's, that, that is true. It's true that this doesn't exist. So great. We need that. Well, Yes. I mean, I think also, you know, like in many other contexts, you know, you would have a, 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 a state body, that is responsible uh, for all of this, for planning and coordination. Well, in the big, uh, in the big aid context, there's always a state failure, then, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of, so like in Egypt, yes, you have that, but Egypt's not in state failure, but in the places where the really big. Or in Jordan, for example, right? Sure. I mean, like Jordan's another kind of refugee hosting country. They've got a ministry uh, uh, to this end um, that, uh, you know, and that, but, and then Lebanon, Lebanon does not. Right. I like the it, the capability, uh, apparently, or just the kind of the relevance. Right. So, so that might be a place that, that would count it. We don't have that. So if if we were to have this map, the census, um, you know, that would be helpful for having the conversation. But essentially, my one of my concerns is that the the, the people who spend this money don't necessarily have either 
an incentive. So the Lebanese who receive this money don't have an incentive to have an honest conversation about this because they are corrupt government officials, largely responsible, not, not all of them. Many of them are corrupt government officials who are largely responsible for the state failure. They don't want an honest reckoning. They want the money to keep flowing in uh, so that they can c- continue to have their sort of long-term pinata of stealing resources and misgoverning. So they don't really, you know, nothing is, nothing is going to sort of gently persuade them to have an honest conversation about this and the donor countries as well. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, there's not a real major political reason, uh, for them to start talking about and making hard choices. And in, in fact, uh, many of the donor countries are reluctant to even sort of openly talk about how much they give, right? Cause they don't want to then deal with domestic political criticism of why they're spending this money, uh, you know, on Syrian refugees in Lebanon or on, you know, Lebanese school kids and so on. So I'm afraid, uh, that, that we're sort of trapped in a dynamic where, uh, maybe some good things will be done, maybe either for, for, for ambivalent reasons uh, or they'll be done uh, in an unsustainable way. And so, you know, we'll, we'll be glad that money's being spent uh, saving people from the worst humanitarian outcomes, but knowing that in a six month time or two year time, that money will dry up uh, because it's not actually being given on a, on a politically sustainable basis. Uh, and, and maybe, maybe that's better than nothing, but that's not really, uh, that's not really spending this money in a way that creates at least the possibility of a recovery uh, of Lebanon and Lebanese institutions so that they can then serve Lebanese people uh, sustainably of, of their own momentum. Well, I mean, I mean, you talk about like the incentives for the different parties involved. I mean, this is why uh, for Lebanon and Lebanese people, I think it is, uh, it's problematic to have uh, foreign donors kind of picking winners in, you know, within or, or among the institutions of uh, of the Lebanese state, because uh, donor countries' interests are not the same as Lebanon's interests, right? There is a uh, a disconnect there, right? And then so these are these are decisions. I mean, in terms of the the planning, the direction uh, of this assistance that should rightly be done by uh, by Lebanon and Lebanese, um, and then it's just not. I mean, it's not happening because of the incapability of uh, of Lebanon's uh, its government and its its ruling class. Um, but I mean, I think more really than uh, you know than this kind of specific, more uh, like actionable wreck. Um, I, I mean, what I what I'd like to uh, hopefully uh, achieve with this report uh, is to kind of. I mean, maybe this is over optimistic, but, you know, kind of uh, push sort of a discursive change. Right. To change uh, the way people talk about what's happening with aid and with state collapse. Yeah, because I think that, uh, you know, once let's see. So when it came, for example, to uh, like teacher stipends and uh, Lebanese army stipends, I mean, these are are not typically, uh, grouped together or considered, you know, of a piece, uh, like one of these, uh, cause you know, they come out of like different, uh, funding lines, different donors. Uh, but then I saw them and it's like, oh, okay. Like these, 
these are similar in important respects, right? Like these are part of uh, a larger picture. Um, and I think that hopefully, you know, I think it's when you see basically all the things that, uh, that I managed to, uh, to get a sense of in this paper, right? You know, when you see it spelled out, it's like, okay, donors are doing this and this and this and this, like these are the ways it's problematic. Uh, this is why, you know, it, like this will be sustained. This won't, um, once you see it all together, I think it's, uh, it's hard to unsee it. Right. I think that it, uh, it really, it adds up to, uh, a picture that I think is, uh, you know, it's pretty, um, like, uh, eye opening. Yeah. And, and I, and I agree. And I think that, uh, one reason to, I wouldn't say feel hopeful, but one one source of possibility here is that we aren't talking about a failed state in a hot conflict. We're talking about a, a, a like a state that looks like a failed state in a lot of ways, but uh, you know, human capital exists. The, the staff, ministers, others, uh, although in diminished capacity because of the brain drain of recent years, nonetheless, uh, the, the the potential actually exists, including financially and economically for these ministries, these state functions for, for, for Lebanese institutions to actually operate. This is not, uh, it's not an impossible case, although it increasingly <laughs> looks like a really, uh, hard, it, lo it looks increasingly hard to solve that, that, that catch 22 of how do you get these, uh, really craven and irresponsible uh, political decision makers to make different choices and, and have a different calculus. Uh, but you know, in the, in the, in a practical sense, it's possible in a way that it isn't in other, in, in other worse contexts, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's theoretically an easier problem to solve than, than say restoring uh, uh, like ed, public education and health in Syria um, uh, or, or, or Afghanistan, let's say. So uh, that's why I see the work you've done here as a really constructive uh, invitation to the, the, the Lebanese and international stakeholders uh, uh, to like face and, and start to figure out ways to out, out of this dilemma, because a lot of, a lot of well-meaning and important stakeholders do want Lebanese institutions to function and do want the Lebanese state to recover. Uh, so I think you, you've contributed something really fantastic to that, uh, to that problem solving. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully, I mean, if people kind of have like this invitation or this information in hand, you know, and then it's sort of, it's called what it is. Right. Then, you know, then it can, uh, can enable a, like a, a discussion that's a little bit more, uh, forward looking constructive. So readers, uh, and listeners, you can find this report that we've been referencing today on the Century Foundation's website, tcf.org. The report's called adopt a ministry, how foreign aid threatens Lebanon's institutions. Uh, and, uh, we also have, uh, by Sam Heller, who was talking to me today from, from Beirut, uh, who's a fellow here at Century International. We also have a couple of shorter pieces by Sam up on the, on the site, uh, one in English, one in Arabic, uh, that are companions to this report, uh, and that, uh, that address how the international aid keeping Lebanon afloat might also be destroying its, its institutions. Uh, so go there to uh, read and share uh, these uh, th th this this research. Uh, and Sam, thanks so much uh, for for doing this work and for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me again. 
from Ashes podcast has been brought to you by Century International. Our work builds on more than 100 years of commitment to international peace, security, and governance at the Century Foundation. We are independent, critical, and progressive. For more information about Century International's work, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We depend on audience feedback to reach new listeners. If you like what you hear, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.